Roy Neal, NBC News, Houston. Now we go from science to what sounds like science fiction. There are reports from Dallas, Texas that seven things called blobs have been sighted. They are shapeless, quivering masses that have been found in backyards. The smallest is the size of a tea cake, and the biggest is 18 inches in diameter. No report. One grew 16 times its original size, and it turned purple when it was poked. At least that's what reported to us. But now it appears that most of the blobs in Texas are dying, and we still don't know what they're at. And uh, welcome back to another Student Radio Maastricht episode. Um, what you were just uh, listening to right now, or the voice that you heard, is the intro of a film that is very dear to me in this recent times. And it's called The Creeping Garden. And it's a film rather peculiar. It's about a creature called Slime Mold. And it is an intelligent blob. A blob. A blob. A yellow blob that allegedly has some intelligence uh, powers how can a blob have intelligence this see we've i've spoken this is aki by the way and luna here is also in the studio with us uh, in addition to sajid and rafa and yeah we've been talking about slime because luna has been doing some experiments with it and honestly it kind of terrifies me because it's a slime and but it can learn and I feel like it, this thing is going to take over the universe at some point. Yeah, we're going to talk a bit more. We're going to delve into this uh, this realm. And today we're going to also have some three very special guests. Um, they're not physically present here at the studio, but I've been interviewing them for a couple of days now because one of them is uh, from Australia. It's called uh, He's called Chris Reed. And he's a, or you should be a slime researcher and a cognitive scientist as well of some sorts. He more, he's mostly specialized on decentralized systems. And we're also going to be interviewing two Andrews. One of them rather calls himself as Andy. Andy um, Adamatsky and Andrew Schumann. I think both, both of them are Polish. One of them was in Poland. Rafa here, the text says, sounds very Polish. So I'm going to trust him. Uh, one of them is, was in Poland and the other one was in Bristol. And we had a quick talk this morning, actually. So it's been quite a hectic day. 
And I'm going to be using some of the excerpts from those interviews um, as uh, as a way to further explain what slime mold is, because some there are some things that I think is uh, best if we have an expert talking about. Um, but yeah, let's uh, let's start by saying what exactly is a slime mold. Yeah, what right? is it? <laughs> like, is it like is it an animal? Is it a plant? Is it a fungus? Like, what is it? That is the curious thing. So it is none of the things that you just mentioned. It's not an animal, it's not a plant, and it's not a fungi. It is something entirely different. It's called a protist. And that is basically how people tend to classify things. They don't quite know how to classify us. So it's basically miscellaneous. Yeah. (laughs) It's basically a miscellaneous creature, and it has a very complicated life cycle. Um, it, It practically immortal because whenever the environment is not good or is not favorable for it it just kind of changes into a different form that can withstand that and that's why i think it will take over the universe yeah so, so we can talk more about that and uh and the interesting thing is is that during one of its uh, life stages or one of its forms it's called a plasmodium it does a lot of very interesting things and this plasmodium is a one single cell and it's a gigantic cell it can reach up to meters Oh, shit. Yeah, <laughs> holy shit. And this one single cell explores the space and it goes around forming sort of um, tiny little veins connecting different points. And those different points are food. Cool. The thing is that the way that they connect those points is uh, special. And I think a lot of creatures in the world have that as well. We just don't pay enough attention to it. So bacteria also can um, have some interesting ways of... Uh, reaction to the world just as the slime all does reaction to the world and connecting those points but slime is interesting because it's easy to work with and you can see it naked eye and it's relatively fast it's still not too fast it goes around five centimeters to five centimeters per hour i think okay okay yeah so that's pretty slow yeah 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 to to our standards it's pretty slow but it can, it, it has been shown, and this is how the slime mold first uh, got its uh, big hit. It has been shown to connect, uh, form the railway systems in Tokyo. Huh. And most of the times it does that either in the same level of efficiency as a human or even better than the human. Cool. Yeah, and they try to do that. Uh, they try to do this for the Tokyo. Um, th- that was the first uh, one that they did, and then they carried on doing that for the United States case and uh, in the Netherlands as well. In the Netherlands, they had uh, they let water on top of the of the country to see how, where people would evacuate in a such an event. Oh, and the slime showed us how that would happen. So it has a lot of interesting things, but. Before we start going into even more into that, let's go and talk about intelligence in the first place. Because we're talking about slime all as if it's an intelligent creature, but we don't quite know yet what intelligence means. What what do you think it is? uh, I don't really know how I would define intelligence. I mean, I don't know the ability to learn and like act based on what you know. I guess, but. I don't know. I, don't, I, I am not an expert on intelligence. I'm a musician by trade, so. So I asked this question to two, uh, well, to all of them, and I have now two excerpts, and we can hear what our expert says. So first off, we're going to listen to Andrew. This is Andrew Schumann, and he, he's going to give uh, his interpretation well, intelligence of Intelligence in different meanings. Uh, uh, the most uh, standard, usual meaning uh, is that... Uh, uh, the intelligence is like uh, human, 
So it means that uh, there is something uh, or someone who can um, uh, react uh, uh, to the environment uh, very intelligently and uh, to solve different uh, tasks uh, for uh, for uh, his or her own interests. And um, if we take uh, some swarms like uh, the slime mood, uh, we uh, can uh, say about uh, possibilities to solve some logistic uh, tasks. So, uh, for example, uh, in transporting foods, uh, in moving and so on. So basically he's saying that some people just rather say intelligence is what is behave sort of like humans. Hmm. That's but, kind of uh, egotistical. Yeah, right. But then at the same time he's saying, well, but there are also other forms of intelligence that they don't necessarily behave like humans, but they can still solve some tasks. They cool. can still compute things. And then I think Chris uh, came in and he gave another um, explanation. I think it's a broader way of understanding it and might help us uh, figure it out. Yeah, I mean, that would depend on who you ask. So it's one of these sort of nebulous, difficult to define things, and largely because it's charged with a huge amount of emotion um, and history. So I think psychologists would have a very different um, definition to, say, a behavioural ecologist or a computer scientist. And I think fundamentally the way that I like to think about it is um, any system that gathers information from the environment and responds to that information um, in some way that enhances its um, survival or performance is acting in an intelligent way. And so I don't think it's quite useful to say that this thing is intelligent and this thing is not intelligent. Um, if you adopt this more broad definition, then everything from a paramecium, single-celled, simple organism up to a dolphin or a human is intelligent, but they just vary in the degrees of intelligence and what kind of information they can gather and how they can use that information. And they're only constrained by sort of the physical or chemical mechanisms they use um, to come to decisions and to integrate that information. And I think that's where it becomes a much more interesting discussion. That's fascinating. Yeah, right? Yeah. I like that he described it as sort of a nebulous kind of thing because that's also to me what I think of as what I think how I think of slime itself. So, yeah, I think since I started studying with slime, that was one of the main shifts that I had in my brain. Yeah, <laughs> in trying to understand things, not in, not by defining them or what they are and what they aren't, but how they work. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, to me, the, like, for example, they, the, way he the way he's describing intelligence, it reminds me of how people also think of octopi, octopi because people think of octopi as being very intelligent, but their way of, the way they acquire intelligence is very different from the way that humans acquire intelligence because they have to acquire, learn things very quickly on their own, whereas we're, it's, it's more of a thing that we're taught things uh, from older people, from people who've gone through things before, and it's, so it's more of a linear thing, whereas with octopi, it's just like, you are put in this situation, so you have to adapt really quickly, so... Yeah, precisely. And I think the main thing that I get from it is there is no way we can say how good or how intelligent something is because that already implies you're using a standard. Yeah, exactly. So who is the standard? Usually it's humans, but creatures have their own needs and those needs vary from from situation to situation. And I think 
your already intelligence by being able to survive and finding mechanisms to do that. That's quite impressive already. Yeah, exactly. But then what one might start to find once you start studying more and more these mechanisms that sometimes there are some things that are slightly similar between uh, different organisms. So sometimes maybe one could say maybe a slime mold can teach us a bit about our own cognition. And of course, that doesn't mean that we, def- we evolve from them or we have an intrinsic relationship. But there are some fundamental mechanisms that are shared. And I think Chris also uh, went a bit into that. So we can uh, hear some more of them. Constrain ourselves by saying that a paramecium can't make intelligent decisions. Um, then we're already losing out on looking at the interesting mechanisms that a paramecium might use to uh, make sense of information from the environment and integrate that into a, a decision for its own benefit. Um, and these huge amount of different mechanisms that are available to nature will sort of be ignored. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So we should pay attention to everything. Um, and of course, now the question is, okay, so there are different creatures and they have different mechanisms, but how exactly does it work for slime mold? How the hell can he solve the things that he can solve? Yeah, how can this one, this giant, this ginormous cell with a billion dif- different nuclei learn things? Because it doesn't seem like it's a brain, I don't think, but I don't know. I'm yeah, right? <laughs> it's a strange thing. But we can talk about it in a bit. Let's uh, first play uh, 10 bits of a biocomputer music. Um, it was composed or performed by a person called Eduardo Moreira. And he is a researcher um, slash musician. And basically what he was doing, he was improvising with slime mold. So he connected the slime to a computer and the computer to the to the piano. So then whenever he plays the piano, that would affect the slime mold, that would react to it. And that reaction would be, become music as well. And then he would react to it and then you, this loop would form and I find it quite interesting and we can play a bit of it now. That's fascinating, cool. Mm-hmm.
cool music. It's interesting, huh? Yeah. I hope slime mold doesn't take my job in the future. <laughs> so, so what we the, the the entire thing is fifteen minutes. This is just about the I think it's the the last uh, the last minutes of the song. But it's quite interesting. Just if you can, you should look it up on a SoundCloud and listen to the entire thing because it it sounds very different um, at different points. I don't know exactly how he did it. Uh, I think Andy tried to explain it to me, but I couldn't fully understand. But there are videos of uh, how he did it and the entire process on the internet. So if you just type Eduardo Moreira, you're going to find out how this happens. Cool. Yeah. But we were talking before about the mechanisms. How How is it that Slime manages to... to explore the environment and behave in the way it behaves. Do you, do you have any guess? How, how do you think that happens? I don't know. I'm picturing something like, okay, does anyone remember that, like the very old movie, The Blob, and it just kind of just moves very slowly and just like, like and absorbs like people in cars and things like that. That's basically my mental image of slime mold. So yeah. I have no idea how it moves well, really. Well, it actually, it does. It does walk around kind of like that. It's quite funny to see the time-lapse videos of it. But there are, of course, more intricate mechanisms behind it. Um, the truth is that people nowadays don't know that much about it. Um, there are some ideas um, that come with it. So people know that somehow it has something to do with uh, different filaments inside and there are, that the slime mold produces some electrical potentials, and which is what they use to make the song that we just uh, listened to. Cool. Yeah. Uh, but Chris, uh, he he gave a nice explanation, I think, when I was given the interview, and I think it would be nice to listen to it now. Even though the slime mold is a single organism, uh, each little part of the slime mold, tiny microscopic parts of the slime mold, uh, are able to take in information through receptors on the cell surface, and that could be information about um, how much light there is, whether there's damaging salts in the environment, whether it's getting too dry or it's nice and wet, um, all of these things that are important to slime molds. And so it can sense that information, each little microscopic part of the slime mold senses that information and then reacts to it uh, in a way to communicate to other parts of the slime mold. And the way it reacts is by changing how fast it's pulsing. So each little gooey part of a slime mold is slowly contracting and releasing itself in the same way that our own muscle tissues do using actin, myosin, filaments, exactly the same mechanism. And each of those little pulses is tuned to how good the local environment is. So if this little microscopic part of a slime mold finds itself in a really good part of the environment, where there's lots of food, it's nice and moist and dark, then that part of the slime mold will pulse really fast. If a neighbouring part finds uh, a really bad area with salt or it's dry, then it'll pulse much slower. But because each part of the slime mold is physically linked to the neighbouring part through this sort of cell membrane, if one part's pulsing really fast, it kind of has to make the part next to it pulse fast as well, even if that part didn't necessarily sense those good things in the environment. And through this chain of linked oscillators, uh, information about good parts of the environment flows throughout the whole system. And so the whole system can come to a collective decision about where's the next best place to move to be in the best part of the environment at that time. That sounds like a very democratic process. Yeah, right? <laughs> and 
And there is a re- there is a reason I think why you say that because and this was also something that I was discussing with Chris. Um, the way that people describe slime mold is by saying it's a decentralized system, whereas humans are considered to have a centralized system. And basically what it means is in a decentralized system, every tiny little part of it, every tiny little component is horizontally part of the decision making. So they combine the individual reactions to that later form the global reaction that you see when you're up above. Wow, that is fascinating. Today I learned that slime mold is my ideal form of government. Uh-huh. And the interesting thing is, is that, and that was also th- something that I learned from this interview that I had with him, is that usually people um, say that for something to be decentralized, well, not usually, but my understanding used to be that to, for something to have a decentralized system, you have individual components that are physically um, separate. But in the case of the slime mold, when it's in the plasmodium phase, it's one single cell. But still, the different parts of this one single cell behave in such a way. That's really cool. So it's like, there's no, so it's like, in a sense, there's no one big nucleus. It's just all these little nuclei just doing their own thing and like telling each other, okay, this is, this is cool. Let's go this direction. Or maybe we can go this direction. What do you think? So, yeah, so that, that's again, so the slime has many different nuclei inside. It's not just one. And uh, they all kind of, behave and they they do things in synchrony yeah and people also don't quite know how that happens because it's kind of complicated you if you try to imagine how how do you manage to have thousands of tiny little things going working always in synchrony not or as far as we know not necessarily connected yeah, how does that work actually I, I i i don't know anything about these kinds of things so that things? to me is like my, my my brain is just exploding right now with all this new information all these new ideas <laughs> things should be figured out there's a lot to be studied especially on the house of the slime mold there's a lot on what the slime mold can do and what things it can achieve but how it does it it's still somehow a big mystery and that's kind of the more important question i think Mm-hmm. I always like looking at how at how at how and why something works as opposed to just what is it doing. Yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. It's a fascinating world, and the interesting thing is, is and, and maybe you already have a glimpse of it through um, by hearing the crisis except um, about uh, the mechanisms of slime. But if you pay attention to it, it sounds a bit like a brain would work. Hmm. Because usually when you, when you learn about the brain, you have the different neurons and they're also kind of pulsating in a way. So they have the electrical potentials. Yeah, true. And they, they one neuron has the electrical potential that communicates another neuron that then communicates another neuron. You have this series of communications that at the end of the day form the way that we think. Yeah, that's true. When, I, when, when, he, did mention, when he mentioned electrical potentials, I did, thought, I did think of nerve cells. Kind of that's how, like, that's how the signals in our bodies are sent. So I guess it's kind of the same, kind of the same process in a way. Yeah, strange. So I asked this to Chris. So I asked him if we could trace a sort of a parallel between our brains and uh, amoebas, the slime mold. And this is what he said. From my point of view, it works quite similarly. Uh, slime mold just um, less complicated because we have uh, millions of neurons in the brain and slime mold is just a um, single cell creature. But essentially the same characteristics of learning, detection, avoidance of reappearance and um, moving towards attractants. Sorry, that was Andy. But that's also an important thing to mention. So at the basic level, um, what, it, what the, the slime is doing is just reacting to the environment. And that's all of what our neurons do as well. And now comes uh, Chris, uh, Chris' take on it. We talked about before to be these centralized systems. And I guess on a conscious level, 
maybe we, there's some founding for that. But if you start to break the brain down into its individual neurons and how they're behaving, and if you consider that the sum of all those behaviours is going to be how an individual reacts, then you start to see a very strong parallel with a decentralised system, even though a brain is a classic example of a centralised system. So if, say, one neuron is receiving information from multiple sources and it could um, choose option A or option B the next time that's off an electrical signal or vote for that option um, in the brain, that neuron will be basically acquiring evidence that option A is better than option B and that option B is better than option A. And the first one of those to cross sort of an evidence threshold is when that neuron fires and says, this is the one we're going to decide, it's the best one. And all the neurons in your brain are doing it at the same time and essentially that's what makes up the decisions that we make. So it's kind of hard not to think of it as a, a decentralised system at that fundamental level, which is why studying insect colonies and slime molds is really interesting and important because we can mess with those systems much easier than we can mess with our brains, both in a, a sort of a conceptual sense and just in the laboratory. And yet, since they're so similar in some fundamental ways, we may get to some deeper understanding about how brains work by poking some slime molds on some hands. So do you think uh, we're going to get some extra knowledge about our own brains by poking the slime? I mean, I think we can learn a lot about anything by, by looking at anything. I think everything is a little bit connected in some sense. So, And particularly with what we're learning about slime today, with how it's a decentralized system and how that and how it may, creates electrical potentials to send messages and everything and it's able to learn things. I think we might be able to learn something about our brains and maybe cognition itself. So, But I don't know. <laughs> and it sounds cool, though. Yeah, right? It's super interesting. And something, uh, because I've been uh, talking about this in a museum, because uh, I was doing my experiments in a museum, and every once in a while people come by and, oh, what is it that you're doing? And ask questions. And usually when I would tell people uh, that you could trace this, uh, this similarities between a brain and, uh, and the slime, then the second question that I would come up with is, okay, so does it mean that evolutionarily speaking, uh, we come from slimes? Or does it mean that we are related to it? Hmm. And that is not necessarily the case. And Chris also had a bit of a say on that. Maybe we can play it. It's, uh, I wouldn't go that far. I don't think we can probably quite go that far. I think what we can say is that these kinds of problems, basically how to find the best food source in a limited period of time, these are things that life has always had to find solutions to. And the slime molds found a solution to it a long, long time ago. Uh, we found our own solution to it, and it bears some similarities but uses an entirely different mechanism. And I think the more we look at nature, the more we'll find a huge array of very different systems that are solving the same problem. And that actually is a really important and exciting thing because it means there could be a huge amount of things out there to discover, new ways to look at problems and find solutions to the problems that we have. Nice. Mm -hmm. So, so we're not we're not descended from slime, but they just figure out another way to do things, and then we figure out another way to do things. Yeah, and many other creatures figure out their own way of doing things. And what I find it very interesting is that even though we do that separately, and the mechanisms come vary as well, there are always this underlying similarity that keeps coming up over and over again. 
And it's just you just wonder how come? How how can that happen? Yeah. Huh. Odd. So it's yeah. Odd but cool. Yeah. I don't know. When I when, when I must I must say that when you mentioned that when you mentioned that it's like, you know, it's almost similar to a brain and that it kind of just moves very slowly and like I know that there's been like experiments where you like try to control things using slime. My mental image became that of if you're familiar with Doctor Who, the Daleks, because they're like just like a little blob inside of a metal container and it just does things and they're very intelligent and things like that. So that's just my mental image of slime mold now after learning all of this. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned this because I I I, I didn't have this uh, this Dalek image, but now that you mention it immediately pops into my mind this what Andy and Andrew were doing at some point and they were trying to combine um, slime molds and computers so silicon computers that we have nice and they managed to do some chips where they connect that and transmit information and it's a funny it's a funny thought I find it very weird to, this idea of having a biological thing being treated as a computer hmm. but somehow it makes sense because computers, even though they're not alive, they're also just explore, not exploring, but they also have ways of computing things and understanding the word and reacting to, to inputs and giving yeah. outputs. And there's all these new experiments with now machine learning and things. So maybe we can create a biological computer in a sense out of slime mold. Yeah. And they did that. <laughs> <laughs> nice stuff. Nice stuff. But we're going to talk about it in a bit because before that comes the idea of slime molds and algorithms. Um, because slime molds, they're capable of a lot of things. And of course, that's uh, in their own individual realm. But sometimes, every once in a while, humans can learn from it and make use of it in some ways. And this is related to what we were talking about earlier, about uh, Tokyo and the railway system. Yeah, that was a really cool thing. Yeah. Uh, and they were one of the first groups that uh, did this kind of studies, I think. And what they did is, as I, I said, they put the oatmeals in the different stations and let the slime explore. And then they analyzed what ways the, the slime was using to to make those connections. And then they created uh, computer algorithms out of it that nowadays can be used within our own, um, our own realm of uh, reality. That's really cool. So using slime as a way... So we're creating models out of the slime. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Yeah. There is a lot of slimy algorithms out there, and that's not the only thing. There are, like, there are algorithms that are inspired by many creatures. There are some ant-inspired algorithms as well. Um, yeah. Cool. So whatever you think about humans uh, being intelligent, please remind yourself that our intelligence sometimes also borrows things from creatures that we don't usually pay as much attention to. That's right, y'all. Humble yourselves. Yeah, please. Um, I've, Chris uh, had a very nice uh, way of explaining this Tokyo experiment that I think is better than the way I explained it. So maybe we can listen to this now as well. Fabulous study um, by Toshiyuki Nakagaki's group. who's really, this guy's the grandfather of slime mold behavioral research. He's just an absolutely amazing man. But this, uh, this project basically made an agar map of the Japanese railway network put little um, oat flakes around each of the positions of the, the major train stations in this railway network and just asked the slime mold to connect them all up and what kind of network did it come up with. And in many cases, the slime mold was able to come up with networks that were as good or better than the human design network. But the key thing about this is how do we um, have a look at how the slime mold builds these networks and they 
the best part of this paper was they designed an algorithm for building networks based on the slime mold's behavior that works really well. Because when we design our human systems like um, transport networks or information networks, we tend to define them in a very, to design them in a very efficient way um, by making them the shortest networks possible because this will limit how long it takes to build a network and how many resources are required to build it. But that's not very um, robust to the kinds of things that happen in nature. So say there's an earthquake or some kind of disaster separates a part of that really efficient railway network, then a huge number of railway stops will be inaccessible. What slime are able to do is to build a really efficient network in this way, but also put in a few key extra links in that network so that if a, one of these links is cut, the whole network itself doesn't fall apart. We call that robustness. And so the slime mold is able to make a really efficient and robust network. And what Toshi was able to do was to make an algorithm based on the slime mold's behavior that can design these efficient, robust networks. And that could help us in the future um, design better networks in this sort of crazy world we live in. Yeah. Cool. So let's let the slime design this crazy world we live in. Yes, let's let, let, let Scott slime, you know, I don't my, like, as a numtot, I think that, you know, we, we, should, we should build more trains to connect people in cities and things like that. So let's use slime to model that. Yeah. And, uh, well, we've been talking a lot about all of these things now and a lot of excerpts. So maybe we can uh, just listen to another soundtrack um, right here. This is uh, Fusario Music. And uh, the person who made this or allowed the slime all to perform this is uh, Andy, Andy Adam Adamax Adamatsky. I'm awful at pronouncing his surname, and it's uh, it's the lifetime, it's the all of the lifetime of the slime mold from the very beginning to end, and it's kind of it's very dramatic when you think in this way. So pay attention to it and think about its life when you listen to it. End of the life of a slime mold. Rip. 
Rest in peace. <laughs> I first, I first heard this a couple of days ago. I was like, oh, okay, interesting. It doesn't sound like much. But then he explained to me what this was, and I, I feel very touched by it. Yeah, it's, yeah, I, can, I, I get it now. <laughs> Says Zach, you know, very convinced about <laughs> this topic. Um, but I think that was a nice introduction now for um, the next section of uh, this whole slimy talk. And this is when we've reached the computer talk. Okay. And biological computers, which is what Andy and Andrew were working on. And I asked Chris before I did the interview with Andy and Andrew what he thought of it, considering that he's not necessarily doing research on computers, uh, what he thought of it, because it's kind of a crazy idea. Mm. Uh, I'm just going to let you hear his thoughts. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it'll be, it'll be useful and it'll work in in different degrees. So I think they'll be able to do it. And as, at a fundamental level, you could design a system of logic gates with inputs and outputs that will, um, as a basic definition of a computer, be able to, to function. Um, I don't think that even they would have um, any no, any notion that this is going to revolutionise the way we make computers or do high-end computing uh, in the near term. But I think as an exercise, it's definitely very interesting and useful and uh, anything that gets people thinking more about how organisms from very different parts of the evolutionary tree process information and make use of that um, is going to be beneficial. Yeah. And that was um, his, uh, his, his thoughts. And I think it kind of coincided also with what Andrew and Andrew talked to me about this morning. Uh, but I'm going to describe a bit more what was the project about. There was actually two different projects. The first one was called Pfizerum Chip, Growing Computers from Slimold. And it ran from 2013 to 2016. And their main goal was to do exactly what the title says, to grow computers out of slime. How do you grow a computer out of slime? Uh-huh. Um, they were, I think they were just kind of trying to understand these mechanisms. As far as I understood from the interview, Andrew was somehow working on um, creating a computed language out of slime mold. Uh, so understand how the slime makes decisions and so on. Uh, but I think Andy could uh, explain this better. Uh, I've got some excerpts from it as well. His... Uh, yeah, he just gives a bit of an insight on why they did it. Slimehold can solve some um, computational tasks where we represent data in special, natural way, and then Slimehold represents results as configuration of its protoplasmic networks. Uh, but Slimehold, by no means, not universal computer. It's a very specialized pro processor which can solve just some tasks. And, uh, in fact, so I'm all just following laws of biology, physics, and chemistry, and we humans interpret its behavior as computation. So it's just a matter of interpretation. And uh, about interaction with silicon computers, well, because time out exhibit um, electrical potential, and we can record oscillations, then indeed slime out in, can be interfaced electrically with normal computers. But slime out is a very slow creature, and... Uh, Frequency of oscillations may be uh, once per 60, 120 seconds. Therefore, uh, interface with conventional computing devices will not be productive because modern computers are very fast. Cool. And 
so yeah, I was. I asked them then. Okay, so it's not like computers, biological computers, going to take over the world or going to revolutionize anything. So why exactly? What do you think could come out of it? Why did you choose to do it in the first place? And I loved his answer. He's basically say he's basically said, well, because it's cool. I mean, <laughs> it is cool. If and it is cool, you can you should do it. I must I must I must add though that it's very much a relief to me that slime is not going to take over the universe by way of taking over computers. So I can now take a breath of relief. Yeah, but Andrew gave me um, a rather interesting uh, answer to that, and he said that then a way this could be the start of something or the future of a new line of research in protein computers protein computers protein computers i i had the same i had the same response to it. what exactly is that and basically he described us as protein computers so you can we can see talk about humans now as gigantic protein computers capable of doing things and the main idea is that at some point maybe it would be nice to have entirely biological computers that do not depend on the electricity but if they're bio but if wait if we create a biological computer and i could be theorized to be a biological computer then that just be like creating life in a sense i guess i guess creating life or modifying to a certain extent and then comes also the then the sense of what is life what isn't life and all of the philosophical debates about it fun yeah, and he, he went a bit more into it, but I wasn't so certain about how well I understood, so I won't delve much into it, but I'm just going to drop it there. Um, protein computers. I think it's a interesting term to describe us. Uh, but even though it's, it, it sounded as if the, this whole making biological computers not as promising in terms of technological advances, they did... Uh, do something quite interesting in the next project that they got into, which is the Pfizerum sensor, biosensors for citizen scientists. Uh, and it ran from 2017 to 2018. And basically they built uh, a sensor that has both a silicon and a biological component to it. And the biological component is the slime mold. And what it does is it senses the environment. And Andy can explain a bit more about it. So I'm gonna play his excerpt created and it's available uh hard way available for free uh to all cust customers and uh we try to employ this uh, basically sensor in some practical tasks till we had financing and we are still developing the sensor for future uh, more likely slime mold can detect for example explosives or uh, some drugs or uh, dangerous concentration of chemicals in the air and used as environmental sensor Sensor also includes an um, Arduino board, which is very cheap and can be actually done by everyone. And uh, on this board, there is a very simple processor who can do analysis of the electrical activity and calculate frequency of oscillations. And depending on frequency, we can say if slime mold likes or dislikes certain kind of substances. Cool. So we can just tell, based on the computers, we can tell like, okay, the slime likes this thing. It doesn't like this thing. So... Yeah, and what I found interesting about it is that he's making use of something called citizen science to uh, to make this uh, project go forward. It didn't work as well as he expected, I think, but the idea was really cool. So what he wanted to do, because it's, well, let me start from the beginning. So it's not as easy to understand the signals of the slime mold. So if, it, if it's sensing, um, I don't know, a certain chemical and then a different chemical is sensed later on, for us to to 
be able to pinpoint, okay, this signal means this thing and this signal means this thing is quite difficult. It's not as easy to distinguish the, all the, the different uh, signals that the slime produces. But then his idea was to distribute this uh, many different sen- sensors to different people who are interested all around the globe so that they can gather the data and that later on having many, many, many data um, about how the slime sensed uh, different, this different chemicals or different cues in the environment to maybe find patterns out of it. Cool. Yeah, that would uh, that would then become the the ultimate biological sensor. That would be so cool. That's uh-huh. huh. Slime is some really powerful stuff. Yeah, and I think it's a really cool project. I I hope they carry on doing it, and I hope uh, they manage to find more volunteers interested in contributing. Sounds really cool. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think now we can go to a next part of this uh, this whole slimy talk. And I'm going to be a bit selfish. I'm going to talk about myself now. Oh, yes, please do. Hey. Um, so I'm conducting uh, some experiments at the Cube Design Museum. I've been doing this uh, for a couple of months now. And I'm not doing all the fancy, cool research on how the this mecha- the slime mode is able to do all these things. But I'm, quite in, I'm still in the what. But I'm doing the what in a fun way. Because I proposed uh, to people to be compared to slime molds. Hmm, so are you smarter than slime? Are you smarter than slime? That is the main question I'm throwing. And the main reason I want to do that is for people to to have a moment and ask themselves, what what is it that they mean by, what is it that is meant by intelligence? And to be aware of other type of creatures around the, the globe that have a lot to teach us. And uh, yeah. And now I'm doing some events around the city. When and where I will be there. When and where. Um, I'm going to have one the 30th, so tomorrow at MSB. There is going to be an event at 6, where I'm going to be doing two different tests. Uh, One is related to decision making or kind of how people decide between between exploring something or exploiting something. Uh, it's It's basically a board game, so come and check it out. And then I'm going to be doing another thing on how slime mode learns stuff or how humans learn things. So they can just come and do this activity. It's more of a, that one's more of a fun thing. People are just going to walk around the space and become a slime for a couple of uh, minutes with their eyes um, blindfolded, holding hands, cannot let go. Hmm, that, so- that sounds like fun. Yeah. Also and I hope terrifying. to see you guys there. There's going to be more, uh, the fourth, uh, there's going to be another event at the student hotel from seven to nine if i'm not mistaken and then there's another one at the cube design museum on the 15th from two to two four so come on check it out well, hope to see you there will all of these events be posted on the student real maastricht facebook page um there there is a there are facebook group uh, facebook events nice. for this so they can just type uh, human versus lion mold on the facebook and probably something should come up cool yeah uh, but yeah, that is uh, about what I had to talk about um, slime mold. We have uh, some 10 minutes left now? About. Okay, okay. So what, what are your thoughts on all of this? Well, for one thing, I'm a lot less terrified of slime now, now at least now that I understand it. Um, and I'm really intrigued now. I mean, I... It really brings up a lot of philosophical questions, like what is intelligence itself, and like, what does it mean uh, for us as humans that you know this single-cell creature, <laughs> this giant cell, can learn things and 
and can it be actually smarter than us in certain situations? So like, you know, I think it's really good to like look at think it to like for humans to look at this at this creature and then just like kind of like think of yourself. You know, you're not as intelligent as you think you are, or maybe you are as intelligent, but maybe there are other creatures that are as intelligent that you wouldn't necessarily think of as smart. <laughs> yeah. And uh, now we have to say goodbye to everyone. And before that, we're going to do a bit of a cultural agenda. Uh, there is an event going on tonight at the, the B. It's organized by the Malangi Arts, and it's called What Lies Beneath. It is a media, uh, media performance, and I'm also going to be singing there, so come and check it out. Ooh, that sounds lit. Um, there's also Jazz at the Duke with Projector M. It's going to happen also tonight at uh, 10, so make sure to come by. And then there's also the 1st of February, uh, the Nona Garage sale with free pizza. <laughs> Did you say free pizza? Yeah. I'll be there. Okay. <laughs> and uh, oh yeah, and there's also a gender event on the 29th, so also today at 7.15 at the in-between. So how gender stereotypes and how they affect us. Ooh, interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is it for tonight. And we're going to now be playing uh, an, an, a suggestion by one of our SRM people, Anastasia. It is a Dutch song and it has something to do with milk and bacteria. <laughs> I'm curious to listen to it. Oh, 
reminder here for everyone. We're listening. We're, we heard something sounds a bit weird. Um, I think there are signals from Uranus. Uh, and we have a bit of a message. I think they're saying they're communicating to us. We're going to have a live session, another student radio live session. I think. Yeah, that's exactly what they say. Uh, it's going to be a jump session. It's a, the third jump session we're going to throw. And we're going to have two special guests, Lizetta Lowe and Tuzan Alfonso. They're going to be playing. Uh, please come and join us. It's going to be at the B on the February 14th, starting at 7.30 p.m. It's donation-based, real donation-based. Signals, are this coming from Uranus or Uranus? MVV Jong PSV. Bestel je tickets nu op mvv.nl. Busclub Bus MVV. Pierre, heb ze al gewerkt? Nee, ik heb het warmbraden gedaan, Jos. De Moors doet Valkenberg. Hij wil dan weer een commercial lotten opnemen. Moors auto's gaat in het Valkenburg. Ik ja. snap niet dat hij een reclame maakt. Dat, dat kent toch iedereen? Jo, en tot de VRO Fokwa garantieert, dat werd ook iedereen. En tot ze dat een leerauto kreeg, dat werd ook iedereen. En dat telefoonnummer, dat kent iedereen dreumen. 043 609 0909. Moorsautoschade.nl Dat kent ook digitaal, Jos. Digitaal, Pierre. Digitaal. Ja. Oh. U luistert naar RTV Maastricht. 87.5 op de kabel, 107.5 in de ether. Dit is Ewald van Liemt met het radionieuws. Staatssecretaris Broekers heeft de Tweede Kamer beloofd... dat er toch een extern onderzoek komt naar het vermeende wegmof...